right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? What's going on? I'm Nick Springer. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Tough, tough loss for Kansas last night, but uh, not all, not everything is negative today. There's been some some pretty big positive news, but certainly for the men, a tough loss uh, on the road against UCF. We're going to break that down here in just a moment. RCSD brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery as always. Even though Kansas lost last night, we've got a packed show. Tons of great stuff coming your way today. We'll get into the KUCF game in just a moment. Rock Chuck Pickahawk recap coming up later on. Also a little bit of news on Kansas baseball. At 3.40, Ryan Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, is going to join the show. In the 4 o'clock hour, a big announcement from Devin Neal. We'll get into that later on in the show. Plus, the Kansas women got a huge win last night. Didn't Things didn't go right for the Kansas men, but for the women, they got a big win. We'll talk about that a little bit. Shreya Salata of the Kansas City Star will join the show at 4.40. And also, more KU basketball in the 5 o'clock hour. Also, have a chance to hear from Bill Self at the postgame podium after the loss to UCF. Let's start right there. Kansas loses to UCF on the road. They are now 1-1 one one in conference play. Second loss of the season in just a, a wild game. I mean, you think about that game, craziness from really start to finish. Uh, you think about how that game started. Kansas gets down 7-0 to start the game. They give up three offensive rebounds in the first possession of the game in which UCF scores. Down 7-0. Then a 12-0 run from Kansas to make it 12-7, and you're, you got whiplash. You're thinking, whoa, what in the world is going on? Kansas would eventually go up 35-19. But then a big run late in the first half from UCF that continued into the second half. Eventually, UCF got up by 7 late in the second half. Kansas comes storming back again to tie it at 57. But the Jayhawks run out of gas 65-60, to 60, the final score, and a lot to get to from that game. But, yeah, again, it really started from the beginning with Kansas looking sluggish out of the gate, then fighting back. Parker Brown hits a three, and at that moment I was like, okay, Parker Brown's hitting a three. This is a, this is a wrap. This game is officially done. Uh, you're going to let Parker Brown hit a three on you. You don't come back from that. Uh, KU gets up 16, like I said. Then Hunter Dickinson leaves the game, and all hell breaks loose at the end of the first half. And uh, I know there was a lot of questions about Bill Self leaving Hunter Dickinson possibly on the bench too long, and then it turns out that maybe he's dealing with some sort of knee brew situation. Uh, so that's not great. Bill Self didn't seem too concerned about it, though, in the post game. But uh, a rough loss for Kansas, certainly, as uh, they fall down the stretch against UCF, 65-60. to so, yeah, I mean, in terms of how the game unfolded, it's 35-19. Every, you're thinking, oh, man, everything's going according to plan. This is, this is great. Kansas is going to go in. They're going to cruise to a comfortable win. 
just just as I predicted on yesterday's show, just as kind of we talked about that being a possibility with UCF being one of the uh, worst teams in the Big 12, uh, based off Ken Palm, third worst team in the Big 12, uh, one of the worst, they were picked to finish last in the Big 12, and uh, then things just started to unravel for Kansas, and once again, the turnovers, uh, a huge, huge storyline for KU in the game. They finished with 18 turnovers again, second consecutive game with 18 turnovers. They had 18 against T- against TCU, and, and against TCU, they they were still able to overcome that. And against UCF on the road, they were not able to do that. They were not able to overcome that. So that was a pretty big disappointment. Uh, Hunter Dickinson only 12 points in the game because, and he played le- he played just under 28 minutes. As uh, Bill Self kind of alluded to the fact that he was dealing with some sort of. Uh, Knee, bru- bruised knee, I guess. Uh, Kevin McCullough led the way for Kansas with 16 points. He was probably the biggest bright spot, I think, uh, for KU in the game. KJ Adams did have 10 points and seven rebounds, but, but yeah, Dewan Harris and uh, I, I want to get more into this with with Brian Haney and maybe a little bit with Trey as well, as well later in the show. I'm to the point now where it's I think it's it's really difficult to have a conversation, a constructive conversation about Dewan Harris because. He has objectively been, I think, a lot worse this season than we've seen him in previous seasons. Uh, he He's not been in command really on offense. He's still putting up the big assist numbers, but you can tell it's just not quite the same. And then his defense has been uh, not nearly as good either. And we look at him compared to the rest of the, of the point guards in the Big 12. He is still in the top six. He is sixth uh, in terms of assist or in terms of assist to turnover ratio my, my apologies in terms of assist to turnover ratio he's still near the top in fact with assist per turnover he is in the top three so he's still been very good but it's just it's just not quite the same when you look at his turnovers per game he's six in the conference of turnovers per game with 2.7 turnovers per game uh, he still is it near the top of the conference with 7.1 assists per game in fact that is still good for best in the conference overall but uh it's just it just it just doesn't quite feel the same. It doesn't quite feel the same, and it's and again I think it's tough to have a conversation about Dewan Harris because of the fact that when he is good, when he is playing at a high level, a lot of the things that he does aren't going to pop out. You're not going to say, "Wow, Dewan Harris, look at that." I mean, he just when he, when he's playing at a high level, it goes more unnoticed versus when he's struggling, the spotlight is kind of on him. So that I think that makes it a bit difficult to maybe have a, a constructive conversation around kind of where he's at, but there's no question that he is not playing at the same level or near nearly the same level that I think we expected him to play up to this point in the season. Uh, can he still get there? I think so, potentially, but with the lack of shooters on this roster, to me, that really hurts Dewan Harris. That really hurts his ability to, to be at his best. You know, when you look at last season or previous seasons with KU, with Dewan Harris, Grady Dick, Jalen Wilson, Ochai, Christian Brown, guys that were very reliable shooters that probably helped out DeWan Harris quite a bit in terms of allow, allowing him to do his thing. But, yeah, uh, right now it's 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 not working for him. And early in the season, when you look at Kansas and it was thought, okay, you're going to have your sort of quote-unquote big four, Hunter, KJ, Kevin, and DeWan. And in my mind I was thinking those four guys – playing at a high level, I think, can carry Kansas pretty far, right? If if if, if the bench never comes along, if El Marco continues to be inconsistent, inconsistent, those those four guys playing at a high level, I think, can still drag Kansas to a lot of success. And with Dewan playing the way he is now, though, it's really come it's really now a big three. 
Kevin, KJ, and Hunter. And I feel significantly less confident about those three guys trying to tow Kansas to victories than I do if you, if you have DeWan at least in there playing at a, at a, semi, at a semi-high level. Uh, and I think that was kind of the case in this game uh, against against UCF. Now, I don't want to pile on DeWan too much for this UCF game specifically because when you look at the turnovers, it was really everybody for Kansas. In fact, DeWan was third on the team in turnovers. Kevin had five. KJ had four. And uh, DeWan had three. Hunter had two. And Almarco had two as well. So then that's where the big difference is between this game and between the TCU game. The TCU game, TCU had 16 steals. UCF only had eight steals. So there was a lot of unforced errors, a lot of balls getting thrown out of bounds, you know, miscommunications on turnovers from KU, I think, in this game for UC- against UCF compared to the TCU game, which 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 really hurt them. And then certainly, uh, I think the turning point in the game, and, and Bill Self talked about this, we'll get to that audio later in the show, was the fact was the last four minutes of the first half into the first four minutes of the second half, right? Again, it's 35-19 with about three and a half, four minutes left in the first half. Hunter Dickinson heads to the bench, and at that point, things really, really get out of hand for Kansas. UCF hits back-to-back threes uh, at one point to get it back down to nine, and and I've had these same I've had this same exact thought, and I think probably Johnny Dawkins, the coach for UCF, was thinking the same thing. You know, there's been plenty of games where Kansas has been down double digits late in the first half, right? And the thought process, especially when you're at home, the thought process is always get it to get it to ten or get it to eight, and all, and it's a completely different game, right? It's it sounds it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but truly it is. the The difference of a mindset if you're down if you're down twelve versus down ten, it's only two points, but the mindset difference can be so significant. Or if you're down eleven versus being down eight, or, or anything like that, it can be such a huge difference in a game. And so I, I'm sure UCF was thinking the same thing. Like, hey, down 16, let's get it to 12 or 10 before half, and all of a sudden this might become a game. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, they got it to 8 at the half, and it did become a very interesting game from that point on. And then, of course, the, the adjustments from UCF at halftime to start playing a zone, and the zone defense really dumbfounded Kansas. It, they just they just did not seem to have any answer for it. It really, really stymied the Jayhawks, it seemed like, and – I don't know. It's kind of frustrating, though, because to me, it felt like there were still some possessions where the passing was crisp and clean for Kansas and it led to easy baskets. But far and away in the second half, especially, the possessions were more bogged down and drive into a crowd without really any real options and resulting in turnovers. And, you know, I have to wonder if teams will look at that film and say, man, maybe we should play some zone against Kansas because they had no answer for it. Now, I, I would push back on that a little bit because. I think if you give Bill Self some time to prepare and really, really dial up some stuff for the zone, that to me, I would be scared if I was an opposing coach to play too much zone against Kansas because I or or, or have that be a, a, an incremental part of the game plan because with Bill Self on the other side, he could scheme up something to really, really break through. So I, I don't know. That's all, that obviously becomes a storyline going forward for Kansas. Is will teams try to replicate that? And what kind of success will they have? Because prior to this game against uh, UCF, I know the broadcast mentioned KU had 30 possessions against the zone the whole season prior to this game against UCF. And I, I think I think Missouri attempted to utilize the zone a little bit, but it didn't really work out for them. I was trying to think what other games where teams used a little bit of zone against Kansas. The Missouri game was the one that jumped out to me immediately. But but regardless, there wasn't no, nobody who had play, played zone previously against Kansas had nearly as much success as, as UCF did. And, and again, I think when you look at 
when you look at the stats for Kansas, playing a zone might be a little bit seem seem a little bit counterintuitive because Kansas has one of the best assist rates in the country on terms of their made field goals, assisting on made field goals. And if you want to break a zone, if you have crisp passing and you move it, that's going to leave guys open. So, but clearly it caught Kansas way off guard and they did not really have a response. And I think UCF really discovered that they could put a lot of ball pressure on KU and there just was not much of a response from Kansas on offense. And I think that probably had to do with the fact that Kansas does not really have at this point a knockdown shooter or a guy that they can rely on as a shooter. Uh, and maybe that's where Nick Timberlake has to step up, but it didn't happen really re- didn't really happen for him here. Although Nick Timberlake getting feisty in the first half. Getting feisty in right in front of the right in front of the bench. It actually it that that moment actually did feel like there was a chance it could really blow up, but it kind of seemed to calm down right before it got to that. Uh so <laughs> but that was that was kind of good to see. Nick Timberlake getting fired up. So, but yeah, that the the, fir- the final four minutes of the se- of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half definitely seemed to be sort of the the hinge point in the game. Uh, TCU or UCF did eventually get up fifty two forty five later in the second half, and Kansas did fight back. Uh, Kevin McCuller hit a big three to cut it down to fifty seven fifty six. KU ended up tying it at fifty seven, but that was really as close as they ever got it. And then uh, UCF went on a little mini run again to extend the lead out and ultimately uh, went on to win the game that way. So 65-60, the final score, tough loss. Uh, I think the the immediate reaction was this is probably one of the worst losses for Bill Self at Kansas. I think given the context, it's got to be up there, right? I know a lot of people jumped straight to that TCU loss that KU had, which would have been uh, 2013, I believe, against a really bad TCU team. But I don't know, man. I mean, we'll see how things play out this season. But this is a UCF team that may only end up winning, may only end up winning, you know, four or five more conference games on the season. Uh, so it could look like a pretty tough loss uh, for KU. So I, I definitely would have to say it's up there in terms of regular season losses. It's, I don't think it's the worst. I mean, listen, you were up 16 on the road and you blew it. That's, that's not good against a far inferior opponent, I think. But listen, I mean, UCF. Played their asses off. They really did. And uh, their their crowd showed up in a big way. They had a lot of energy. Now, I will say this about the crowd, though, and the energy. That's another kind of a big takeaway from this game is Kansas definitely looked rattled by that, and they looked like they lost some composure a little bit at times. And that is particularly tough to see for this team considering the experience that they have. Dewan Harris and K.J. Adams, especially in my eyes, they should know going in that this is what you're going to expect. You know, when when you're wearing the Kansas jersey on the road, you're going to get a raucous crowd. You're going to get the best shot from the opponent, and it just—I don't know. I, I, you wouldn't expect that to happen when you have two players like that with uh, with Harrison, KJ Adams, and and, and even Kevin McCullough, right? Who's now been playing for Kansas for over a year. You would think that those guys are prepared and and ready to take that on. You know, someone like Hunter Dickinson. Even though he's a very, very experienced college player, maybe I give him a pass because maybe it is a little bit different at Kansas than it was at Michigan. But like those, the, the three guys, Dwan Harris, KJ Adams, Kevin McCuller, like they've got to be leaders there. They've got to be able to to maintain composure, and it just didn't feel like it really happened uh, for them in that game. So that was another big takeaway was was kind of the way things unraveled for Kansas. And listen, this was not a great game really from Bill Self either, coaching wise. I mentioned the zone that really kind of stifled Kansas. It didn't seem like KU had any real significant adjustments to that. 
then you have kind of the I, I think the, the conversation around her Dickinson had changed a little bit once it once it was kind of discovered that he might have been dealing with a little bit of a an ailment with his knee, but but uh, yeah, some interesting things with with Bill Self as well in in the game. But uh, certainly the turnovers again, I think is probably the biggest storyline. Uh, when you look beyond that, El Marco Jackson, another really really rough game for him, and that's tough to see, right? A guy who had a really strong game, maybe the best game of his career against Wichita State heading into conference play, and he has now followed that up with two really, really, really tough games uh, to start conference play. Didn't even attempt a shot in the game against UCF. Finished with zero points, three fouls. Did have three assists in the game, but also two turnovers uh, in 22 minutes. That's not great. And I, and I, I wonder, it, maybe the conversation should be had already, already right now of for that fifth starting spot is that is that has that conversation been reopened uh, you know it felt like with El Marco that the that that conversation was closed for a while but is it reopened now with what Johnny Furphy was able to do off the bench he looked explosive Furphy finished with nine points in the game had a big dunk early in the game as well uh, and four rebounds does that conversation need to be had uh, I just wonder you know is I mean I think you have to look at it from this way like what what do you gain with Furphy over starting El Marco, like they're both both freshmen. Furphy certainly has the size and length that maybe could allow you for different matchups, possibly on defense. But when you look at Furphy offensively, definitely a better shooter right now than El Marco. But I just want—I mean, I think this kind of goes back to something I talked about earlier in the season. It's like, does it really matter who that fifth starter is? Because if it's El Marco, if it's Furphy, or if if somehow Timberlake gets in that conversation, those three guys. They're going to be playing probably close. I mean, in this game, for instance, El Marco plays 22 minutes. Furphy plays almost 18 minutes, right? So they end up playing close to the same amount of minutes. And and again, as Bill Self had talked about uh, early on in the season, he I think he said it himself that hey, you know, you guys focus too much on who's starting the game. It's more about who's finishing the game. Which, by the way, Furphy was in at the end of the game again against UCF. Uh, so I, I don't know. Maybe there's too much put into that. But I think maybe at the same time. You look at how this game started for UC, for KU against UCF. They went they went down seven zero. If Furphy is that fifth starter for El Marco, does do they get down seven zero right off this right off the bat? I, I don't know. Maybe not. So I think the the other overarching takeaway from this game is it's very early. Obviously, second week of January, a loss like this, it it it. There's really one of two ways this could go. It could be just a simple blip en route to another Big Twelve title and another possible one seed for Kansas. It could be just a simple, okay, one-off, start conference play. You went on the road against a program in their first ever home Big 12 game. They had sold out the arena for just the second time in the, that arena's history. They were incredibly jacked up, and you didn't you didn't match that in the second half, and, and that's why you lost. And but, that, but, but basically, is this a game that in two months nobody remembers and nobody cares about because KU's a one seed and won the Big 12 title? Or... Is this game possibly sort of the beginning of seeing increasing troubles for Kansas? This so obviously it's only two games into conference play, but this does feel like kind of a, a fork in the road moment for KU, especially with a top ten Oklahoma team coming to town that's probably looking at Kansas now and saying, "Okay, we have a chance here to go into into Allen and get a big win, right, uh, against a team that's already a bit wounded." So. I think you have to give you have to give the benefit of the doubt to Bill Self and the fact that KU's been in the situation before. They've had losses before in Big Twelve play and have recovered very well. Uh, you know, prior to last season, 
right? It was a, the ridiculous stat of KU doesn't normally lose back-to-back conference games very often. Uh, so I think you still have to to give the benefit of the doubt to Bill Self to figure this thing out and kind of hit the reset button here for Kansas and get them ready for Saturday. But but again, it does feel it does feel a little bit like a fork in the road. Is this going to be just a blip on the radar as Kansas goes on the way to another Big 12 title and probably a one seed at that point? Or is this the game with the turnovers, with the struggles of Dewan Harris, with the struggles of Marco Jackson? Is it kind of the tip of the iceberg of maybe Kansas having deeper issues that will continue to plague them throughout conference play? That's my that's my big question and my sort of big takeaway from this game, and we may get a quick answer to that against Oklahoma, right? If Kansas comes out against Oklahoma lo- looking a lot better and, and wins that game, again, I think maybe this game becomes okay. Just a simple blip in the radar, back to business. But if the struggles continue, continue against Oklahoma, you might have to start having to have some questions about this team winning the Big 12 title potentially, right? Because they're not very deep. There, nobody, nobody's coming in. You know, Ochai Obaji, Christian Brown, Grady Dick. Those guys aren't walking through that door. These guys have to get it done with who they have right now. And while Kevin McCullough has been playing incredible, Hunter Dickinson has been playing incredible. KJ Adams has been playing at a high level. It's, it's, it's clearly not enough, right? Because they end up losing this game on the road against UCF. So we'll get more into this game uh, throughout the show today. We'll get it to a Rock Chuck Pickock recap coming up on the other side. Brian Haney is going to join the show in about 15 minutes from right now. Uh, a big announcement from Devin Neal that we have to get to in the 4 o'clock hour. And also Kansas, women, Kansas women's basketball got a big victory last night. We'll talk about that as well. Shreya Slot is going to join the show at 440 as well. And then in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get to some Bill Self postgame audio and more takeaways from KUUCF. We'll take a timeout. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Half past three here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out. Coming up in just about 10 minutes or so, we're going to be joined by Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks here on the show, coming back from Orlando after the KU game against UCF last night. Tough loss for the Jayhawks. We'll talk about that. Talk a little bit about Devin Neal's announcement as well, coming up with Brian. I wanted to make a quick mention here, uh, some local news uh, by the way, if you are in the area, possibly looking to head out on I-70 towards, if you're heading towards Kansas City, eastbound on I-70, there is a, a car fire out there on the turnpike on I-70 that is uh, causing a bit of a traffic delay. So if you are possibly looking to, in the area and you're going out eastbound on I-70, uh, just be wary of that. There's a, uh, there are on, there are, sounds like there are crews on the scene right now working with it, but it is causing a bit of a backup if you're trying to head out. Uh, on eastbound on I-70 towards Kansas City. So I wanted to give a quick little update on that here uh, locally. All right, another update here for uh, how about the KU baseball team? They are a little over a month away from uh, starting the 2024 season, second season under head coach Dan Fitzgerald, and they have landed in the top 10 with their transfer class that they have brought in for this upcoming season, headlined by Grant Adler from Wichita State. Uh, this is their, their, the number nine ranked transfer class by D1 Baseball. That's number and number one in the Big 12 as well. And this is coming off a season in which Dan Fitzgerald had the number one ranked junior college recruiting class last year uh, heading into the season. So Kansas loading up the transfer portal and hoping to build a winning program under Dan Fitzgerald heading into their second season. As I said, they begin their season on February 16th against Illinois Chicago in Texas. So I uh, wanted to give a quick mention of KU Baseball looking to build their roster moving forward and hoping to continue off the success of the first season under head coach Dan Fitzgerald. Also, Rock Chuck Pickahawk recap from last night and uh, 
a bit of an ugly one. A bit of an ugly one. As uh, Derek gets the win once again, we texted via our picks earlier in the week, or uh, I guess I should say yesterday before the show. Uh, we texted our picks in. My team was Hunter Dickinson, Johnny Furphy, Jawan McDowell, and Omarco Jackson. Derek had Kevin McCuller, KJ Adams, Parker Brown, and Dewan Harris. I finished with negative 14 points total. Derek finished with zero. Uh, for the rules, it's one point for every point a player scores, two points for every rebound and assist a player has, and three points for blocks and steals that a player has. But you lose one point for every minute they play in the game. So for me, I had Hunter Dickinson. He actually finished with zero pick-a-hawk points. Johnny Furphy gave me four points. Jamar McDowell gave me minus two. He played two minutes and didn't record a stat. But El Marco Jackson played 22 minutes, zero points, just uh, three assists. He finished with negative 16 points for me. That really sunk me. That brought me down to negative 14 total. For Derek, he finished with exactly zero. Kevin McCuller gave him seven points. KJ Adams gave him minus six. Parker Brown gave him six. Dewan Harris gave him minus six. So he actually broke completely even for uh, pick a hawk here, and he gets the win. So Derek is now 12 and six. I'm six and 12. Uh, now, if I remember right, last season, I, it was a similar start. I don't think I did very well early in Pickahawk, but I eventually got going and picked up some wins. But uh, Derek is kind of clowning on me right now. <laughs> so I got to do something to rally back here. Tomorrow's show, we'll have Pickahawk for the Oklahoma game as well. So uh, I got to get back in the win column. And KU Basketball needs to get back in the win column on Saturday as well against Oklahoma. So, so uh, yeah, there you go. Struggling in Pickahawk right now. Struggling in Pickahawk. Also, how about this? Uh, this was from Darren Ravel earlier in the week. Supposedly, there's a, a possibility of introducing an, a, an irrelevant bowl for college football, featuring the two worst teams in college football. Uh, this year, it would have been Vanderbilt and Akron. And it's funny because how many years would Kansas have been in the irrelevant bowl uh, f- <laughs> during this during this decade-plus stretch of some of their struggles? Uh, so, <laughs> I, I don't know. But the thing is, is like... <sighs> You know, being Mr. Irrelevant in the NFL draft is fine because you still you're still in the NFL. Being in the irrelevant bowl in college football, I don't know, would teams would teams want to do that? I mean, it's I don't know, it's 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 like the concept is pretty fun, but like if you're the team, would it be kind of embarrassing? I don't know. Kind of, I'm I'm a little up in the air on that one. But uh again, it's just kind of funny to think about possibly how many <laughs> how many times Kansas would have been in that. So all right, we're gonna take a time out here. Brian Haney is going to join the show, the voice of the Jayhawks, here in about five minutes. That's up next. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Alefa. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out on uh, dad duty, actually, with his uh, newborn. So everything was safe and sound, it sounds like, with his family. So congratulations to Derek. And uh, so he'll be out probably in the next week a little bit. So holding down the fort here. But uh, at this time on Thursdays, as always, we are joined by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. Brian, uh, unfortunately, you know, Kansas unfortunately loses at UCF. Plus, on top of that, you have to leave probably the warm weather of Orlando to come back to uh, the cold weather here in Kansas. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and uh, 
Hopefully that mic's working okay. Yep. I can barely hear it. There we go. Yep. Um, you know, I'm thinking about the significance of Derek's daughter being born yesterday. And you could be glasses half empty and say, man, she was born on a really <laughs> bad Kansas loss. But the Kansas women had a yeah. historic win. Yeah. And since it's a daughter, I, I, I think he tells the story one day. Is it Jackie, Jacqueline? Uh, Jacqueline, yeah. Jacqueline. Yeah, Jacqueline. Jacqueline. You don't understand. You were born on the day that Brandon Snyder's Kansas women took down the number four team in the country and hopefully completely changed the direction of their season. Mm. Uh, one of the biggest wins they've ever had, and uh, that's how I tell the story to young Jackie 10 years from now when she's old enough to understand. I don't bring up 65-60 <laughs> in Orlando, biggest win in, in Central Florida's history. They want to be called UCF, sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah. Biggest win in the Knights' history. We learned our first day, don't call us Golden Knights Yes, and don't call us Central Florida. But I'll tell you what, we're remembering that name now because that was a yeah. huge, Der huge win. Derek and I jokingly, especially after KU football beat them earlier in the season, we're calling them Central Florida Golden Knights, but – I feel like now we have to respect them a little bit after after the loss. So Man, called I, by the right name. I respected them a ton already because it's it's a great group of people down there. Terry Mahajer, former Jayhawk, who's uh, the AD, and uh, have a lot of respect for their entire athletic department. But I'll tell you what, uh, there is respect on their basketball name, much more so than there was 24 hours ago because yeah. that's a monumental win, just the second ever sellout in that building's history. They were raucous and ready, although we had about 33% of the the crowd i would say in crimson and blue but uh tough pill to swallow for the jayhawks as i said on post game it feels like we kind of bogeyed a hole that we were supposed to at least par so you gave a stroke back to the field in that regard the, the team that other teams competing for the big 12 crown may likely beat and when i say other teams competing for the crown i mean the houston's and the baylor's and the texas's and the oklahoma's of the league so you gave one back but the good news is it's January the 10th that you lost that game. You got two months. You got 16 more league games to get your groove back. And if there's any coach in America I trust to figure out some of the things that ail Kansas right now, in Bill we trust because this guy has proven time and time again nobody gets his teams rolling by mid-February as consistently and at as high of a level as Bill Self does. So in Bill we trust. And really the easiest thing to fix right now is the turnovers. Yeah. And I love the description he gave us on pregame yesterday before we knew that 18 turnovers was going to happen again uh, when it was just a one-game problem. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, if you break it down like this, good teams shouldn't commit more than 11 or 12 turnovers a game. So let's say 12 because the math's easier. It's a rounder number to go from 18 to 12. That's, that's six additional empty possessions above the number of 12 turnovers that you've now self-inflicted in back-to-back in -back games. If you score on half of those six, and let's just say they're two-pointers you're scoring, that's six extra points that make the TCU game not anxious late, and we're not talking about a flagrant call that everybody was debating, and it probably flips the script on the loss last night if you lose 65-60 and you had six additional points from, conservatively speaking, scoring just three more buckets on, yeah. on the six possessions above what self considers a respectable number for a good team. You look at the guys committing the turnovers, and it's not the young pups that you might want to throw the blame at. It's the guys that are probably, as, as Self would tell you, playing a few too many minutes right now because they're having to lean on the core four more than they would like to. But these turnovers are primarily coming from your Wands, your Kevins, your KJs. And I think that's a good thing because 
I trust those guys to shore that up and shore it up in pretty short order, pretty quickly. So to me, yes, it's going to be a, a season long of figuring out who that fifth guy in the rotation consistently is going to be. That's not going to get fixed overnight. Hopefully Johnny Furphy's first half flashes are a sign that maybe he can be that role more so than not. But the easy fix, the more immediate one, is the self-inflicted wounds with not valuing the ball. And you know, it, it's just a matter of Dewan not forcing a couple of passes where he had to thread it through an eye of a needle. Or Kevin not trying to go behind the back in traffic where he never got his hand back on the ball as he went from right hand to left hand and yeah. it was quickly pilfered the other way. These are things that they can take care of because it's veterans that just need to you know, look in the mirror and, and shore some stuff up. Developing the five position, and by that I don't mean the center spot, but the fifth man in your starting rotation, that's one that's going to take a little bit longer. But I do think to be a glasses half full kind of guy, I, I think we saw some positives last night out of Johnny Furphy that hopefully can bear fruit going forward. I don't like what we saw from a second straight game of El Marco Jackson. I worry a little bit about his confidence right now. Love the kid, love his upside, but that's back-to-back -back games where, you know, he didn't look to score last night. There was zero shots attempted after an 0-4 scoreless performance versus TCU. You'd love to see him get his mojo back. But Johnny, on a night in which El Marco's plus-minus was minus 16, Johnny's was plus 6, and obviously he keyed the first half run when Kansas built up that 16-point lead. You'd just like to be able to bottle that up a little bit more. Yeah, when you talk about the turnovers now, as you said, back-to-back -back games where that's kind of been an issue, and specifically with Dewan, I, I do feel like it's, it's kind of tough to have a real constructive conversation about him because – he still leads the team. He still leads the conference in assists per game. I almost have over seven assists per game. But yet the turnover numbers are up, and, and maybe the defense isn't where we're normally used to seeing it be. But I guess for him, for Dewan specifically, what do you think it is he needs to maybe do individually to try to sort of help right the ship here with KU? Well, he's led the conference in assist turnover the last couple of years, and and now he's, I think he's third now in that. Now it's number? just the assists that are looking yeah. good. Yeah. So, you know, I, as I said, there's some unnecessary chances he's taken at times. Um, and I trust him big picture. But this is a, a stat that Bill Self's been monitoring for about two and a half months now. I remember being in the studio with you guys a month ago right after Dewan came on Hawk Talk and Self was teasing him that his girlfriend, wife at Mayberry, had a better assist-to-turnover ratio than Juan had. <laughs> and that was his way of, of kind of – publicly poking at him a little bit to, to lock in on the uh, the handling of the ball there. But, hey, th this is a guy that, that will be remembered as one of the great point guards, if not best point guard of the Bill Self era, depending on how postseason legacy is, is uh, finished out these next couple of marches. And so I do believe he can get it shored up. However, we are now two and a half months into the season, and uh, you know that number hasn't shrunk as much as we'd like it to. So I, I think for all those guys, there's a look-in-the-mirror factor today. Hey, how come we're making some of these mistakes? How can we quickly alleviate some of the extra unnecessary pressure we're putting on ourselves by turning it over so much? And if we were talking about a first- or a second-year player, I'd be more concerned. But this isn't Juan's first rodeo, and I do think he'll lock in. And hopefully, if the five-man, whoever that is, and again, when I say five-man, I mean the fifth guy in the rotation, if, if he's more of a threat to score and uh, is offering a little more consistency, that's going to take pressure off of everybody. Defenses won't be able to clamp down as easy on Hunter. There won't be as much pressure on Kevin to force or create what might not be there. Maybe for Juan, there's better driving lanes for his patented flips from the hip when he gets running toward the right side of the lane because that fifth person is more of a threat. Unfortunately, last night, 
El Marco just didn't look like a threat to score, wasn't looking for it as often. And so that's where if you get the emergence of Johnny Furphy or even if the El Marco of the Wichita State game comes back to us as quickly as he went away, I think that makes it so much easier for the other four guys. And and that's just the easiest thing. And we've been harping on it for eight weeks now, but that's the easiest thing to to really free up the core for tremendously. Well, and that's, what the, that's what's unfortunate about El Marco is you saw Wichita State right before conference play, maybe his best game of his career at Kansas, yeah. right? But now two games where it's kind of been the opposite. I guess, what do you think he needs to do to maybe try to figure out how to get back to that Wichita State form? Well, the game's coming fast at him right now, and everything that Kansas would like him to do is coming quickly as well. And as I watch him in practice and in games, I see a guy that's receptive to the coaching, and and he's trying to soak everything up like a sponge, but it's not coming as quickly in terms of retention and, and execution as maybe it would for some other freshmen that have been playing basketball at an organized level longer. We forget he's only played organized ball for four and a half years. This was not as polished of an immediate impact plug-and-play true freshman as Grady Dick was, and it never was going to be. I don't think that was the expectation in the eyes of the Kansas coaching staff. They knew it was going to come longer uh, in terms of his development, but uh, this is a guy they still have high, high hopes for. He's a guy that from an athleticism speed, explosiveness standpoint, bring something that nobody else on the roster does. It's just a matter of, of learning everything that's asked of him to where he can just do and react and not overthink or be tentative. Because if you start to hesitate, even a split-second Mississippi, an M-I-S-S-I-P-P, well, I think I spelled it wrong already, <laughs> even a slight half Mississippi, you spell half that word, that <laughs> takes away his inherent advantage, which is the the quickest first step on the roster. So when he gets to the point where he's just reacting and not overthinking, and and we see that guy that got it and went versus Wichita State, get it and go, baby, down the the floor, driving right-hand layup, driving right-hand jam, that gives him the confidence on the next possession to hit the three that sparked the 7-0 personal run. He got it and just took off, and that's what I hope for him. But uh, but there's a lot of things, you know, from throwing the ball in the right place when they're trying to, to feed the man in the middle of the zone to working it to a third side when you're trying to break down the opponent defense. That It just comes through understanding what Bill Suff's expectation is and having enough of a sample size of doing it to where it's a natural react as opposed to a, okay, where do I go next? Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense to me. Um, but but it's easier said than done. Oh, for sure. Very yeah. easier said than done. And we have sky-high expectations for these guys. But, uh, you know, we're, we're getting into mid-January, and, and my hope is usually February is that time where freshmen either hit the rookie wall or they push on through it and they overcome it. And my hope is for both he and Johnny and, and Jamari, too, to a lesser extent, that they're able to persevere as they soak up more and, and get more time to retain everything that's being thrown at them. Yeah. We're talking with Brian Brian Haney here, voice of the Jayhawks on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Uh, there was a big announcement on the football side that happened earlier today with uh, Devin Neal officially announcing yeah. that he's going to be returning to KU. I know we've talked quite a bit about him and what he could do for his legacy, but I guess just, again, what, what do you think it means for him to now officially be coming back and, and have that uh, really awesome video featuring guys like Gail Sayers and whatnot, yeah. kind of really drawing on that legacy? Uh, how, how important is that, and, and what are you hoping for for him next season? It's huge, and what a great story for a local legend who, as we talked about on a previous episode, I mean, he bet on the Jayhawks when nobody else would. He banked on this program turning around when, quite frankly, a lot of recruiting 
competition of KU's, the, the coaches at other schools that wanted his services as well, they probably told him, why would you pick Kansas? <laughs> like, you're going to win three games a year. But but he saw something bigger brewing, and, and he believed in a winner and the possibility of a winner being built here after what Mark Mangino was able to do. And so you fast forward three years, two bowl games, over 3,000 rushing yards later, 33 TDs later, and you see a guy that has a great shot to not only break every individual record he could possibly want, but leave a legacy from a team success standpoint that has his name listed amongst the all-time greats like the Sayers and the Hadels and, and Evans and, and names like that. You know, I, I tweeted out the yardage and the TDs that he's shy of June Henley on earlier today, talking about some of those tangible individual marks, just 764 yards back of Henley's school rushing record of 38-41, just eight rushing TDs back of Henley's school record of 41, uh, just seven total TDs back of the rushing and receiving total TD record. The all-purpose yards record is a tricky one because Henley, folks forget, he had over 600 return yards. That's not a category that Devin's got anything to compare with. But in just rushing and receiving yards alone, he's actually only about 1,600 back of of taking down June Henley in that regard. That's attainable with a healthy season and certainly a season where you play at least 13 games, maybe more, if you make it to the Big 12 title game and if you were to make it to the college football playoff. But those, those last two things I mentioned or where I think his legacy is really going to be defined. Did he not just become a player that took Kansas to their first ever back-to-back-to-back bowl seasons, but did he take him to a Big 12 championship? Did he possibly get them in the college football playoff for the first time ever as it triples in size from 4 to 12 teams? The greats in any sport, whether we're talking about the NBA hierarchy of of Jordan versus LeBron or the NFL hierarchy of Brady versus... Montana, Mahomes, whatever, it's team success and titles. And he's got the individual accolades piling up left and right. He's got the individual stats charting in the right direction, as I just showed you. But the real feather in his Hall of Fame cap, the real feather in his ring of honor crown, the jewel in that crown, I should say, would be team success of a Big 12 title or college football playoff type run. And both of those things would have sounded idiotic for either of us to say three years ago when he was committing to Kansas from Lawrence High. They both seem not just fathomable, but now realistic and within grasp because of the job that Lance Leipold's done and the key foundational pieces like Devin Neal have contributed. That's why I'm so stinking proud of this guy. I'm happy for him, his girlfriend Alyssa. Uh, they, she works out at Johnny's Tavern at the Hawk Talks, and they've got a great thing going right now in his hometown. Why not enjoy it for 12 more months? Why not leave a legacy that's hard to surpass here? And and then worry about the NFL after that when you've done something and put your name on a stadium in that ring of honor that'll never be taken down. That to me was far too appealing to move on from and, and to possibly let go of. I'm glad he's coming back to seize that next year. And speaking of that team success, KU finished the season ranked in the top 25 in the AP Top 25 at 23rd. So Feels like the arrow continues to, to trend upward, and uh, I'm sure you're as excited as anybody, Brian, to see hopefully the success of Kansas going forward. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Brian, I uh, appreciate your time as always. Before we let you go, a word from Nate Miller. A word from Nate Miller, my main man. He's got uh, your financial future 
all queued up and ready to go if you entrust him with his services and his expertise, whether you have a current financial portfolio or you're just building one for the first time, he'd love to sit down with you. You can check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com, MillerRetirementGroup.com. They used to say it was Miller time whenever Reggie Miller hit a three for the Indiana Pacers. (laughs) I say it's Miller time when you want to get your finances in order. So check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. Congratulations to the Johnson family. I can't wait to meet little Jackie. Jacqueline, and I'll tell you what, he's going to be as great a dad as he is a radio guy, and I think he's first class at both. So excited for the Johnson family for sure. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. One hour down, two to go here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll get more. We'll dive a little bit deeper into the Devin Neal announcement coming up on the other side. Also get into some craziness with coaches retiring, Saban's retired, Belichick, what's next for him, more of that. And also we'll get a little bit into the KU women's basketball win over Baylor last night with some audio from Brandon Schneider and players as well. And Shreya Salata from the Kansas City Star will join the show at 440. And the 5 o'clock hour will get more into some KU basketball takeaways from the UCF game and also get a chance to hear from Bill Self. Uh, as well at the post-game podium after the UCF game. One hour down, two to go here on RCST. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out. And a couple big announcements for KU today. One that came down literally just minutes ago uh, while we were taking a break there. Um... First and foremost, earlier in the day today, Devin Neal announced that he officially is returning to Kansas. Uh, I think this was kind of the assumption. It was kind of reported you know, before, ahead of the bowl game that this was potentially going to happen. Uh, but then there wasn't really any official announcement. And then I think that got some people a little worried. But uh, this always seemed to be the case all along. It was that uh, Devin Neal was, was going to announce his return to KU. Uh, and he did so with a very cool uh, video with some hearkening back to some great old footage of, of KU legends talking about what he wanted to do uh, as well going forward. And and a voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, just just gave, a, a, I thought, a, a great answer describing uh, what Devin Neal could attain as individually, but also what potentially this team as a whole for KU could achieve. If you missed that conversation, if you missed that, you can check it out on the Best of RCST podcast, uh, anywhere you get your podcast. But, yeah, great news for KU that Devin Neal's coming back. And now, again, you sit in, you're in a situation where, okay, preseason Offensive Big 12 Player of the Year from last season, Jalen Daniels, back. Now, can he stay healthy? Obviously, still remains to be a question. Then you have Devin Neal, back. Both Luke Grimm and Lawrence Arnold, plus Quinton Skinner, all three, back. Uh, You lose Mason Fairchild, but you have Jared Casey and Trevor Cardell. Those guys are back. You look at the defense, Kobe Bryant, back. Melo Dotson, back. In the secondary, O.J. Burroughs, Marvin Grant. At the linebacker position, you lose Craig Young, you lose Rich Miller, but you still got J.B. Brown. Jason Gilliam being poised to step up. On the D-line, you still have Jeremy Robinson coming back. You did lose Austin Booker, though, but uh, you feel pretty good about where Kansas is at right now, especially with Devin Neal returning. And the stocks go up and up for Kansas overall. But uh, how about this? Uh, Also, minutes ago, literally minutes ago, a big commitment for Kansas out of the transfer portal. Javier Derrett, a defensive tackle from North Dakota State, uh, just committed to KU minutes ago for uh, the Jayhawks. A big commit for Kansas. They had another lineman uh, on the defensive line. Uh, they also had Dylan Woodkey, a transfer from North from uh, Youngstown State on the D-line. And 
Derrett, a big commitment, I think, for KU overall. Uh, at North Dakota State, he started 29 consecutive games for North Dakota State, played in 56 games over five seasons for North Dakota State, listed at six foot two, 280 pounds. He's from Warrensburg, Missouri, so familiar with the area. Uh, Missouri was recruiting him pretty heavily uh, as well, and uh, also USC was recruiting him pretty heavily. Derrett, in his career for North Dakota State, 90 tackles and 11 sacks. He had a career-high 31 tackles last season. And in his last game with North Dakota State uh, in the in the FCS playoffs, Derrett uh, had six tackles and two sacks in their game against uh, Montana that they ended up losing. So uh, a pretty, pretty significant commitment for KU out of the transfer portal. A big get overall, I think, for the Jayhawks, showing up the middle of the defensive line. You know, you lose Devin Phillips. Uh, I don't think this guy is going to be like Devin Phillips as, as sort of a kind of a big wide guy that can be a defensive stopper, but certainly a, a nice, a very good addition for Kansas. And, uh, you know, we talked about it previously. It's it, it felt like prior to this commitment from Derrett that the area of Kansas that you still have the most biggest concern would have been in the trenches, right? Offensive line and defensive line. Well, you get Shane Bumgarner earlier in the week, and then you add here Derrett also on the defensive side, and suddenly you feel a whole heck of a lot better about uh, – about where KU is at overall in the trenches. So certainly a big commitment just minutes ago for KU, and Lance Leipold continues to be aggressive in the transfer portal uh, going after the needs that KU has. So Derrett, uh, with the commitment to Kansas, and Devin Neal earlier in the day today announcing that uh, he is returning to Kansas, and now the Jayhawks add in the transfer portal as well. So another good day for KU football here in the offseason with Neal coming back and Derrett... Uh, committing. Derrett was a guy that, uh, like I said, Missouri was on him, and then Missouri ended up getting another guy. And this is kind of uh, another thing that you see, you might see happen in the transfer portal is it's almost a little bit of uh, if you're recruiting a guy, if other teams are, if teams are recruiting multiple players for a certain position and they get a commit from one guy, suddenly that can, that can change it from, hey, maybe you're the second or third option for a player, or maybe you're not quite ahead for a player. But if, other teams that, that he wants to go to fill up, then he could possibly come to your team. And I'm not saying this happened here with Derrick, but other other schools that were on him, I can't, they kind of had other guys commit, and that left to Derrick with an option to come to Kansas. And I think he will be certainly an impact player for KU. Uh, USC was also on him pretty heavily. There was the USC connection. He actually made a visit to USC. There was the USC connection with the head coach for North Dakota State becoming a position coach at USC. But uh, KU wins out and gets Derrick to commit. So a, a strong commitment there for KU, adding to the depth of the defensive line. You look in the middle now, you have Tommy Dunn, DJ Withers, and uh, also now you have uh, Derrett along with uh, Taylor as well in the middle for Kansas. So good add there. Good add there for KU out of the transfer portal. And again, it continues to be impressive for me, for Lance Leipold, that this guy continues to go out and aggressively fill needs or areas that he feels like are of need. And this was one of them. Kansas gets another commit there. So two big things there for KU, Devin Neal and Derrett committing to KU. Uh, I did want to get a little bit more into some of the coaching craziness that's happened over the last basically 24 hours. We didn't get to touch on this really at all on yesterday's show. Uh, this news broke right around the time that we uh, the show had to end with pregame coverage of KU men's basketball beginning here on KLWN. But Nick Saban uh, officially retiring, retired from Alabama. Uh, pretty wild there, right? Uh, Nick Saban Probably the greatest coach of all time at the college level. Uh, I don't really know if there's a question at this point. Seven national titles. I think he was. I think uh, his team was ranked number one every year since 2009, at least for at one point in the season, uh, which is pretty wild. 
So an incredible run from Nick Saban. He retires, and then it comes out as well that Bill Belichick is going to be departing from the Patriots. Now, I don't believe this is Belichick retiring, so I don't know if he could go end up somewhere else, but he's, he is not going to continue with the Patriots. And now uh, that leaves obviously a big question mark for the Patriots and Bill Belichick. What's it, what does his future look like as well? Uh, then in the NFL, you have more craziness with Pete Carroll, uh, which kind of became backburner news because of what's going on with Saban and, and Belichick. Carroll leaving uh, Seattle, or I don't know. It sounds like maybe he's going to be stepping into a front office role, but it, I don't know. It's, it's I'm a little fuzzy on what exactly ha- is going on there in Seattle. Uh, and then Mike Vrabel gets fired from Tennessee, which was which is just a terrible decision, by the way. Vrabel should be picked up immediately by some other NFL team that is going to be very very happy with him. I think he's a very very quality coach that had a bad roster and an aging Derrick Henry as well. So. But, uh, yeah, I did want to touch on this with the as it regards to the Nick Saban retiring from Alabama is that what could this possibly impact Kansas at all? And initially you're thinking, well, probably not, right? Well, when you think about a, a move like this, it can have a significant, significant ripple effect and a domino effect, right? You think about a lot of the success that Kansas has had and the fact that they have so many great position coaches and, and offensive and defensive coordinators, obviously with Andy Kolnicki moving on to Penn State. You would think that whoever gets hired in Alabama is going to be looking to add quality position coaches and could possibly some coaches at Kansas be targets. We'll see. Time will tell. Uh, it seemed like Dan, it seemed like it was kind of a kind of wild arc here. Saban retires yesterday afternoon. Last night, it sounds like Dan Lanning is already going to be the next Bama head coach. He was supposedly on a flight from Eugene to Tuscaloosa. Then it comes out early in the day today, not true. Dame Lanning's going to be staying in Oregon, and now it's, oh, gosh, what's going on? And, and you look at the possible replacements for Saban at Bama, and there's not a ton of great options. I mean, I think you have to look at Kalen DeBoer and what he's done at Washington. I don't know, would that fit at Bama? Uh, Dabo Swinney is a Bama grad, and obviously with the way things have been going at Clemson, maybe does he look to, does he try to make a jump? But uh, I don't know, maybe, does Bama want him at this point? Who knows? Dan Lanning obviously was the, the hot button name for about 12 hours there. Uh, you got a guy like Mike Norvell from Florida State, James Franklin. Does Bama try to lure a guy like Bob Stoops out of retirement or even someone like Urban Meyer? Although I wouldn't want Urban Meyer. Uh, but it's kind of an interesting position to be in if, if you were Alabama because there is no really great option, I think, for a replacement, right? Uh, you know, you... The, the Saban coaching tree extends pretty widely, but you think about a guy like Steve Sarkeesian. Would, what, would Steve Sarkeesian leave Texas for Bama? I don't know. I mean, he's positioned now with, with Quinn Ewers coming back to put Texas possibly back in the playoff and, and you know, make a push for a national title there. Uh, you know, you look at a guy like Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss and what he's been building, and uh, but his history there with Bama, would, would Bama want him back, <laughs> you know, with, with some of the history there? Uh, then you look at some of the other hot coaches or coaches that were hot, but maybe aren't so much. You know, you look at a guy like Josh Heupel at Tennessee. He's really struggled. Uh, you look at Florida with uh, Napier, struggled again. You know, maybe Norvell is the guy that you look at, but does, does he have a proven track record? So it's it's kind of a tough time to be looking for that next great coach if you're Alabama. Oh, and by the way, on top of all this, there's a possibility that Michigan could have a job opening if Jim Harbaugh potentially does leave for the NFL, which I don't know how realistic that is or if it's going to happen, but, uh, man, I, I, I don't know. So... But what, what's interesting about this is this does certainly uh, lead you to, the, to, to believe that 
it's got to be the end of an era for Alabama, right? I mean, they're probably. I'm not saying they're going to go become irrelevant, but they certainly will probably dip a little bit. You would think. And now, does does Georgia become that 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 next big team, right? Does Kirby Smart suddenly win five or six titles in the next six, seven, eight, nine, ten years? Uh, so we'll we'll see. Um, for for concerned KU fans about the trickle down effect of the Bama job, you know, for like position coaches, or maybe there's even more concern about like Lance Leipold. I don't, I don't see that being the case, right? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe if I would be more for Lance Leipold from the perspective of of if Lance Leipold would leave Kansas, I think I'd be more worried about a program like Michigan, uh, just because it's more in the Midwest, and I think maybe Lance Leipold would be more inclined to possibly take a job like that. But even then, I don't know. Uh, and I think the biggest concern would be if a big program like a Michigan were to become fixated with the idea of hiring Lance Leipold or if enough boosters put their heads together and said, this is the guy we want, and maybe that turns up the pressure to where they do end up trying to go after Lance and obviously they could throw the weight around with a big with big time money. Uh, I, my concern is at zero right now for Lance to leave for for a, a Bama or a Michigan like that. I, I don't think he would – I don't think that's something he he would want to do. Again, unless, unless one of those programs, like I said, kind of became fixated with the idea – and decided, hey, you know. And when you look at Alabama, there is a real question with Bama here of are they potentially looking for are they potentially looking for a, a young guy who can be the next Bama coach for 10, 15, 20 years and have a lot of success, or do they want to hire somebody who's a little bit older with more experience? That could be a question too, right? I mean, obviously Saban was at Bama for a very, very long time. Uh, and with the with the with the way college athletics has shifted, right? Those types of guys are more rare. It's more rare to see a coach like that at a university for so long with just kind of how things go in college athletics. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I think it's definitely possible that you could see some drastic shifts in college football over the next uh, you know couple months, especially if a guy like Harbaugh also departs uh, Michigan. Because, again, I also – as part of this is the transfer portal, you know, I'm, you might see more Bama players under the transfer portal. So I think the rule is, uh, if a coach like this leaves, in the case of Saban, I think your your players have an additional like thirty days to possibly decide if they actually do want to potentially transfer out. So, um, I don't know. We'll see if that happens, uh, and if that maybe is a situation where possibly maybe some transfers are looking, and and KU might still have some openings, right? Uh, for some, maybe they could get somebody like that or something like that. So. There is, a, I think, a lot of things kind of up in the air right now that will, will kind of play out over the next couple of weeks and months potentially. But from the Kansas perspective, I wouldn't be really worried about Lance Leipold at all. But I would possibly be worried about position coaches because KU, I think, has worked very, very hard to maintain that. Certainly, I think that's kind of been one of Lance Leipold's sort of one of the things that he prides himself on is, is keeping his staff together. And obviously, that's, that is most – you can see that the most by the fact that it was – kind of a shock for Andy Kolnicki to leave, right? So maybe if, if a head coach goes to Bama and is looking for up-and-coming position coaches and maybe takes a look at Kansas and tries to pry away some guys there, that's maybe where I'd be more – maybe where I would be most concerned right now. But on the flip side, like I said, possibly uh, if there's some transfers out of Alabama, maybe there's some more high-quality players that KU can try to get after and uh, recruit to Kansas because there's a lot to like about, I think, the trajectory of, of KU's program uh, here in Lawrence. But uh, – We'll see how things play out with that over the course of the uh, next coming weeks and, and months, I guess. But, uh, yeah, kind of a, a crazy, like I said, crazy 24 to 48 hours in coaching news with Saban retiring, Belichick as well. 
uh, leaving the Patriots. Who knows what he's going to do? By the way, with Belichick gone from the Patriots and Pete Carroll gone from uh, the Seahawks, I believe that now leaves Andy Reid as the oldest coach in the NFL. And that was reflected by the fact that he was getting asked about uh, he was getting asked about retiring possibly uh, at a press conference earlier today. And Travis Kelsey was getting asked as well. And I don't Travis Kelsey's statement made me you know I think the general assumption at least for me was man Travis Kelsey he's probably going to retire after this season especially if K especially if the Chiefs go out and win a Super Bowl but his statement seemed pretty emphatic that uh, he doesn't really plan on retiring after the season so. That was interesting. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, and then Andy Reid made a similar comment of, you know, saying, I'm old but not that old. I don't think the Chiefs need to worry about that in the short term. But uh, some interesting comments both from from Kelsey and from Reid uh, on that as well. All right, we're going to take a timeout here. Uh, Brian Haney did mention this when he first hopped on, hopped on back in the 3 o'clock hour. Kansas women's basketball got a very, very big win last night. And I don't want that to be overshadowed by some of the struggles of the KU men. A huge win for the KU women. We'll break that down. Also got some post-game audio from Brandon Snyder, as well as uh, Tiana Jackson and Samaya Nichols that we'll get to coming up on the other side. Shreya Salata is going to join the show here on RockChalkSports.com coming up in a little less than 20 minutes. Also, later on in the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to get to some more takeaways from the KU basketball game against UCF and also have a chance to hear from Bill Self as he spoke with the media after the game last night. That's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. More here coming up next right here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson out today, but uh, the show goes on. The show goes on. And right now we are joined by none other than Shreya Slada of the Kansas City Star and KansasCity.com. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the unfortunate events of last night for Kansas basketball a little deeper. Uh, Shreyas, I guess first off, what was kind of your, your big takeaways from that game as it kind of unfolded, Kansas getting up big and then you know giving away the lead and then fighting back but still ultimately coming up short? What was, what was just kind of your big takeaway from that game? I think it was one of those things where a lot of their habits that they've had that worried me finally caught up with them. They've won a lot of close games, and eventually you're going to lose a game like that uh, where you probably should have won, right? This is an inferior USC opponent, uh, ECF opponent. And, uh, you know, I think Kansas just let the foot off the gas pedal, made some uncharacteristic turnovers, uh, struggled against the zone. And, you know, they just don't have a good three-point shooting team. You can't win games making four three-pointers uh, in a game. And uh, it almost ultimately cost them, I think. You know, this is their second straight game with 18 uh, turnovers. You know, and it was even worse against TCU where they turned into more points. But 18 points off turnovers is just something that's kind of really hard to beat and defend. Yeah, I mean, I think the big storyline from that game certainly had to be the turnovers, right? And I think Dewan Harris has kind of maybe fairly or unfairly bore the brunt of kind of the, the conversation about the turnovers and KU struggling on offense and whatnot. I guess in your eyes, is, is he – kind of one of the main contributors to the issue, or is it more of a team-wide issue? Or, or I guess talk to me a little bit about DeWan Harris and kind of where he's at right now. I definitely think he is uh, uh, having some issues with turnovers this year. I, I think kind of across the board, DeWan has not been up to the caliber of player that we've seen he can be last year. Um, but I, I don't think it's just him. I mean, you know, KJ had a couple of bad turnovers. Marco had some bad turnovers. I mean, Kevin had a couple. I mean, the big three of uh, guys kind of, and the ball, I think they combined for 12 of Kansas' 18 turnovers between KJ, Almarco, and uh, Juan, uh, and I think Kevin as well. But, you know, you just can't have that. And, 
it's, it's just for a team that's older for the most part, uh, and they're the guys that are turning the ball over. Uh, I'm sure Kansas fans are a little disappointed because, you know, giving away games like that and, and you, you know, you're on the road up 16, you can't let them come back. And, and they did at the end of that sec first half. And a lot of that was spurred by their own mistakes. It feels like the conversation around that, that fifth guy in the starting lineup has maybe been reopened a little bit. You know, Marco Jackson has kind of struggled in the last two games to start conference play. Johnny Furphy seems to be having some moments where he kind of it pops a little bit. Uh, I guess when you look at Marco Jackson and when you look at kind of the what KU's options are at that fifth starting spot, do you feel like that conversation needs to be had, or, or do you still feel like KU's best route right now going forward is to continue to roll with Marco and maybe utilize Furphy and Timberlake, those guys, off the bench? I think right now, it's a little too early, but if you have like two more games like this where El Marco is kind of non-existent on the court and he's just not a positive, then it's, I think it's, it's fair to go, hey, maybe we should put John in the lineup for somebody else. Um, just looking at the way that Kansas plays with Johnny out there, I mean, he, he's a great, you know, he just does a lot really well on the court. I think the, the advantage that El Marco has is he's a better defender, and I think Self knows that. He can handle the ball here and there. Um but I do think there's a little bit of a redundancy, redundancy in skill set. I think Marco probably felt more comfortable with the ball in his hands, and, and the one here is a team that's just not going to happen. And, um, you know, I, I think he's just still figuring out the college game, and I think he's been very differential. Like, I mean, I think the best version of Marco Jackson needs to be aggressive and get his spots. I mean, we saw Grady. He wasn't afraid last year to take his spots and take his shots when he got them. Obviously, they're very different players, but, you know, I think Marco is just deferring to the older guys. And in some ways, that's good. But, you know, for Kansas to reach a ceiling, they need Marco Jackson that can give them 10 a game at least. You know, he's a guy that was supposed to be a lottery talent. And we've seen it in flashes, but right now, he just doesn't look like that player yet. And he looks like a guy that could be here two, three years instead of one of them. And then, of course, you have the situation with Hunter Dickinson. Bill Self talked after the game about how he was dealing with some sort of bruised knee. He didn't really dive into too much details on it. Uh, I guess, how concerned are you about that possibly going forward, considering the fact that, you know, Dickinson comes out of the game with KU up late in the first half, and that's kind of when things started to unravel a little bit. I guess, how much does that worry you about his possible health going forward for KU? I think it's a little bit of a concern, but not too much. I mean, Bill kind of downplayed it a little bit post-game, where he was like, it's just a person, you know. Um, but like you said, you know, there's going to be injuries that kind of come about, and this game doesn't have a lot of depth. And that's where they're tested, right? Like, you know, with Hunter off, their offense gets a lot worse because, you know, he's that focal point engine that, you know, when they need a bucket, they can throw it in the post. He does what he does well. Uh, you know, he gets tough buckets. Um, so I think that's definitely something to monitor. But I think, you know, a routine is not bad. I think it's just a thing that, you know, rest and a little bit of recovery. But it's definitely something that I think to keep an eye out on if you're a KU fan. Um, and I guess to see how minutes kind of fluctuate the next couple of years. Yeah, something that was interesting to me, something that was interesting to me on that note is when Hunter went out of the game, KU put KJ at the five, but it just didn't quite work. It didn't quite look right. And Kevin McCuller talked after the game about basically learning how to play without Hunter on the floor. I guess, what do you think that looks like? If, if it is a situation where Hunter Dickinson maybe can't play as many minutes or is, or is maybe not as effective, what does it look like, you think, for Kansas to try to be still an effective team if he's on the bench? I think at that point, you know, you want to play with speed, right? You want to play like they played with KJ last year, where he was with the five, and they kind of run and gun as much as they can. I mean, this Kansas offensive team, you know, just to say what it is, is they're not a good three-point shooting team. They don't take a lot of threes. So the way that you can combat that is try and get points on a fast break, try and get key defenses off guard, and KJ is such a great 
catalyst for that because he's so quick and he can get up and down the court very quickly. And I mean, he's been a great offensive engine in the sense that it seems like any time you can get in the ball down low, uh, you know, anywhere near the bucket, turns it into either a thunderous slam or a nice layup uh, through traffic. And uh, I think for Kansas, playing while Hunter Dickinson is playing fast, is playing uh, with pace and, and controlling the pace of the game is super important. And you want a guy like Kevin McCullough taking the ball up and looking forward to immediately pass it to uh, Cutter, uh, you know, and, and catching whatever defense it is off guard. When you look at the start of that second half against UCF, UCF goes to his own defense, and, and Kansas looked pretty pretty lost against that defense. Uh, were you kind of surprised by the fact that KU wasn't really able to adjust against that zone, or what was kind of your thoughts on how that early that second half transpired where KU struggled against that zone defense? Yeah, I mean, I think it was interesting because, you know, Kansas really struggled against that 2-3 uh, at times. And obviously, UCF was switching between press and, and 2 3 out and, uh, you know, man-to-man. So I think all those different looks kind of confused Kansas. But, you know, this is where K.J. Adams has got to be the zone buster. I mean, you know, Hunter was a little out of uh, place. He felt like he was in no-man's land a couple times and let some turnovers. And, you know, you know that's where K.J. And Hunter need to do what they do best. And for Hunter, that means, you know, step in and take that mid-range jumper when he gets it. He did that once or twice. And for Kasia, that means getting to the basket, rolling to the basket, getting, uh, you know, his guy, you know, away from him and, and getting those easy, easy buckets that he usually does a great job of. Um, I thought it was interesting because, you know, this Kansas team is so spirited with an older team, and you expect them to be a little more attuned to be able to play against the zone. But, like Bill said after the game, I think they weren't expecting it, and that just really caught him off guard. Yeah, one of the positives from the game, though, I think, was was Kevin McCullough, right? Uh, and not just necessarily when you look at his at his points. I mean, 60 points to lead Kansas, 3-5 from 3. But it was the timeliness of his shots. He hits a big 3 in the second half that kind of pulls Kansas back within one at one point. And I know you're an NBA guy. Kevin McCullough was testing the NBA draft waters, decided to come back. I guess in your eyes, how much has he improved this season? And, and do you think he could be legitimate even maybe, you know, first half of the first round pick uh, uh, for the NBA draft next season? Yeah, he's been tremendous. I've been really impressed with Kevin. I think not just his three-point shooting and stuff like that. That's easy to say. But he's been a lot more aggressive at taking to the rim, and, and he's not afraid to take the contact and still get the bucket. Um, I've been impressed with his uh, just decision-making overall. And I think, you know, for the most part, even with some bad shooting games, you know, like from the field or whatever, it seems like he does a little bit of everything, whether he's, like, rebounding the ball or assisting the ball or whatever. I mean, if you could have told me two years ago or a year ago that Kevin McCullough was going to have a triple-double and one of those things was going to be 10 assists, I'd be like, get out of here. You know, like no one expected that. Um, and I think in this week's draft class, he's really risen up the ranks. I mean, I think I saw him as a projected lottery pick. Last year, we were thinking, wondering if this guy was going to get drafted. I mean, it's a testament to him and his, his work ethic and his, his defense and all that. But, like, you know, I think him coming back was probably the best possible thing he could have done uh, and probably even better than he expected it to be at this point uh, in time. Because he's become the guy that can't basketball, and it's clear how much better they are when Kevin McCoy runs well. All right, so big picture, Kansas loses this game against UCF. They're now 1-1 one one in conference play. It's obviously early, first, you know, second week of January. I guess, o- overarching, how much do you think this game is going to matter big picture-wise when we get into later in February and March? I guess, is this something? Is this a game that to you is going to be kind of a moment where it was indicative of, okay, these are the problems that KU has and it's going to continue throughout the season? Or do you feel like this might be a game where come March nobody's even remembering it because KU was able to still figure things out and go on a run? I guess, how, how, do, you view, how do you think we're going to be viewing this game maybe in six to eight weeks? 
I mean, to be honest with you, I, and we've talked about it, I've been a little more pessimistic than some other people on this KU team. Just because, you know, I look at trends and I look at the way this Kansas team plays teams, and, and they've gotten away with a lot of things that, you know, good teams don't do. They don't beat opponents as the way as much as they're supposed to. You know, they don't beat them in dominance with bad opponents, which I think is a worrying trend. They don't shoot three-point ball at a high enough rate uh, where, you know, like Bill Self teams need to play. I mean, like, they're like 319 or something like that in, in three-point rate, which is just not great. And that's the lowest ever in the Self era. They turn the ball over a lot, a lot, and they don't have a lot of depth. So, I mean, you know, to me, you know, these couple of things, you know, it's just, they are so good defensively. They do a great job of finding the right shot. They do a lot of things well. But things like, you know, turning the ball over and not being able to have a reliable three-point shooting and stuff like that are things that lose you turning the games. And I look at the Kansas team and the way they've played right now, I have no faith that they're going to win eight straight games to win the NCAA tournament. I mean, obviously things can change and, you know, guys can emerge and this and that. But, you know, I think this UCF game was one of the things that I – you know, all the, the worries I had of them losing games like against TCU or some of the other inferior opponents or whatever, it really got answered the, the UCF game. And, you know, hopefully for Kansas fans' sake, they learn from it and they get better from it. But, you know, I, I think I'm just a little apprehensive about where this Kansas team end up. And a lot of it's going to end up, I think, on matchups and just, you know, some emergence from some of these younger guys. Yeah, and when you look at the Big 12 Conference race, Houston losing early uh, against Iowa State on the road maybe helps Kansas a little bit. I mean, do, do you feel like this team is still even positioned to maybe even go to try to win the Big 12 Conference, or maybe is the is even that possibly uh, too high of an expectation right now? I think they still are. You know, would be the front runner for the for the, the Big 12 Conference. I mean, you know, Phil Self usually figures it out. You know, like I, you can say whatever about the roster deficiency or just that, but Phil Self can coach better than anyone in this conference. And, that alone gives me faith that this Kansas team can be the one contending for a baseball title. I don't know if they win it, but you know they should be right up there, especially if Houston is going to struggle through some games and all that. Uh, but I think overall, uh, you know, I expect Kansas to finish, you know, at worst. It's a quick turnaround for Kansas as well when you consider they have uh, an Oklahoma team coming down on Fieldhouse on Saturday that has reached the top 10 nationally, right? And a team that I don't think a lot of people really expected that from them early in the season. I guess for you, what do you think are going to be the biggest factors for Kansas to try to quickly right the ship here with a top 10 opponent coming to Allen uh, this weekend? Well, yeah, I think I think they'll win the game and for a couple of reasons because, you know, they are so good at Allen, obviously, and the crowd was a lot of victories. But also, like, you, you want to limit the turnovers, and you know that's going to be a talking point because they've already talked about it after the TCU game. And, you know, I'm sure Bill's going to have the offense play against different types of zone and this and that, so they'll be more ready for that if Oklahoma throws it at Ben. Um, but the big thing is, you know, you want to make uh, your three-point shots at a higher rate. Uh, you can't just make four in the game. Uh, you want to limit turnovers, and on the defensive end, you want to make sure that Oklahoma doesn't get hot uh, from deep. But I, I think, you know, this Kansas team, if we've learned any built-up teams, they do a great job of bouncing back after a couple losses, and I expect Kansas to have a nice 10-12 point victory to kind of showcase, hey, you know, we're not dead even if we lost to UCF. We're talking with Shreya Salata here of the Kansas City Star. Real quick before I let you go, I did want to get one question in about KU football, right, in the, in the offseason for KU football, but they finished the season ranked in the AP poll. I guess, what do you think that says about the trajectory of this program that they were able to finish the 2023-24 season ranked uh, number 23 in the AP poll? I mean, I think it's really exciting, right? Like, Lance Leifold has gotten KU fans talking about playoffs. We're talking about playoffs, you know? <laughs> I think playoffs? that's really cool. Uh, 
<laughs> exactly. You know, so I think there's a real sentiment that this is the year that they challenge for a Big 12 title. And I arguably say that this year, if Jason Dean was healthy in the two games they lost against Texas Tech and Kansas State, that they probably should have been playing the Big 12 title uh, championship instead of Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, and I think this is the year. You know, if, if Jalen could stay healthy, you know, for more than three games, I think this Kansas team can be very, very good. Um, I'm intrigued to see how the offense looks with Kenny gone. Uh, and I think picking up some talent in the portal on the offensive line will continue to be a big thing because they had so much uh, seniority and experience there, uh, you know, and, and they've done a tremendous job there. But I think this Kansas team is going to be in contention for Big 12 title. And if things go right, they could be the one chosen, uh, one of the few teams chosen to uh, be in the college football playoffs. I mean, I'm very high on them. And I've been very high on Jalen Daniels and Rams Lightfold, I think, really since this year. I think Jalen's health thing is the biggest question mark. And uh, it seems like he's slowly getting back to where he needs to be. Yes, Shrey Slada of the Kansas City Star on KansasCity.com. Trace, you got anything uh, you're working on right now that you want people to be looking forward to over there? Yeah, nothing crazy. I, I wrote a story and kind of broke down some film stuff on the zone and how KU kind of struggled against it. Uh, so check that out. It came out, I think, late last night. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'll have my typical game coverage and this and that. But, uh, you know, looking forward to this uh, Kansas-Oklahoma game and looking forward to see what happens in football in the next couple of weeks. He is Shreyas Lotta once again of the Kansas City Star and KansasCity.com. Be sure to check out all of his work over there. Shreyas, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for having me, man. That was Shreyas Lotta of the Kansas City Star joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Be sure to check out all of his work over there, doing great work covering the Kansas Jayhawks. We'll get more into a little bit of the takeaways for KU coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Also get to some audio from Bill Self, hear what he had to say after the game. Tough loss for Kansas on the road against UCF. And like Trace was talking about there, like we were having a conversation there at the end, uh, it'll be a quick turnaround for Kansas as they're going to be taking on a top 10 Oklahoma team who I'm sure is thinking, okay, this Kansas team just lost against UCF. We can come into their house and maybe try to take them down a peg even further. So big game coming up on Saturday, and you'll be able to hear that game right here on KLWN. Two hours down, one to go. Coming up, we're going to get more into some KU basketball takeaways from that game against UCF. Also hear from head coach Bill Self after the game in the 5 o'clock hour. That's up next here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. 5 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out. It's been a good show so far. Had a couple conversations with Brian Haney and Trey Slada. Of course, if you missed anything from earlier in the show today, you can check it out on the Best of RCSD podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. They want to give a quick update here locally for the uh, city of Lawrence. Uh, for this weekend, the city of Lawrence is going to be open up, opening up the Santa Fe Depot. It's going to open tonight uh, for safe shelter for uh, available for anyone in need and trying to get out of the cold uh, the city of Lawrence working with partners to ensure access to safe indoor shelter for everyone in Lawrence who needs it during uh, this upcoming weekend. So uh, that will be open. So the uh, Santa Fe Depot will open tonight. They also have additional emergency shelter options at the First United Methodist Church and the Burt Nash Homeless Outreach Team is providing hotel rooms for individuals uh, as well. So quick update there in case you possibly need somewhere to try to stay warm out there with uh, this upcoming winter blast uh, this weekend which will certainly be affecting the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Miami Dolphins. We'll talk more about that on tomorrow's show, previewing wildcard weekend. Uh, did want to get into our KU basketball takeaways here from last night's game between KU and UCF. 
Uh, kind of a wild stat here for college. So college basketball really just had a wild last 48 out, 48 to 72 hours. And in fact, this is the first time in college basketball history that four out of the top five teams in the AP poll all lost to unranked teams in a span of two days. So pretty remarkable. You look at Tennessee uh, losing, Kansas, also Purdue, and uh, Houston as well. So crazy, crazy 48-plus hours of college basketball that included Kansas losing on the road against UCF, 65-60. to 60. Uh, uh, Really tough loss for Kansas. They were up big and kind of, I don't know, I guess maybe took their foot off the gas, maybe expected UCF to kind of roll over, and instead UCF punched back and came back to uh, to win the game against Kansas. So uh, in terms of the positive takeaways from the game, obviously tough and a loss always, but I do think there were a couple positives. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about this. You know, Kevin McCuller has been talked a lot about about the fact that he's a better shooter. He, you know, he's played his way into possibly being drafted, and he's an, and he's another guy that you can add to the list of players that tested the NBA waters, came back for another season, and had an even better season to go on and, and get drafted higher in the NBA draft. You look at Jalen Wilson, you look at Ochai Abaji uh, as examples of that as well, and uh, certainly Kevin McCuller. That rings true for him as well. That he's been playing really, really well. But I think maybe something that we haven't talked about enough with Kevin McCuller is the development of his his clutch shooting. You know, not only is he shooting the ball very well from three, but he's been very, very clutch a couple of times this season. And uh, he had a very, very clutch three in this game against UCF. It was 57-53, to a little less than four minutes left in the game, and McCuller hit a clutch corner three that got Kansas within one, and they ultimately tied it off that. So, I, I don't know. To me, that to me that seems to be a big positive, is that I think at this point I'm willing to say Late in the game, crunch time, you can trust Kevin McCuller to hit a big shot. He's done it a couple times this season. By the way, Kevin McCuller finished the game 3 of 5 from 3 as well uh, against UCF. Hit that big shot late that helped get Kansas a little bit closer. So I, I, even though in a, even though it's a loss, I'm now willing to say I think Kevin McCuller is the guy that you can get the ball to in, in, a, in a clutch moment uh, in crunch time to make a big shot. And listen, when it comes to March and even the first weekend in April, if KU can get there, they're going to need – a guy like that, and I think Kevin McCuller has stepped up and shown that he can be that guy that can give KU some some big time shots late. So, one, I think that was a big positive takeaway for me is that I, I now I I personally now feel like okay, you get Kevin McCuller the ball late, he's going to hit a big shot for you. So, one other thing that I think was kind of a a positive from the game is Kansas continues to be very very good, and in fact the best in the country with their assist to field goal rate. So basically, the number of field goals they have assisted on. How about this? Kansas made 24 buckets against UCF. 24. They're 24 47 from the floor. They assisted on 20 of those 24 buckets. So even though there was some struggles in the half court, Kansas obviously with 18 turnovers, which we'll get into here in just a minute, but uh, even though there was some issues with that, when Kansas was effective, it was when they were passing the ball well and it was leading to, to easy baskets. And that results in the fact that you have 20 assists on 24 made baskets in the game. So it's clear that for this Kansas team to be successful, it's not going to be iso ball. It's not going to be things like that. It's going to be assisting, using team passing to get guys open to make shots. So uh, I, I think that was a positive, certainly. I don't know, maybe kind of a sneaky positive here. Bench points, potentially. Uh, bench points in the game for Kansas. Kansas, tr- weird but true, Kansas' bench actually outscored UCF 17-8. to You got nine points off the bench from, Parker, uh, from uh, Johnny Furphy. Nicholas Timberlake had five points in the game in uh, just less than 10 minutes. And then Parker Brown had three points. He hit randomly hit that three very early in the game, which uh, I would assume that is going to be a bit of a one-off. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, weird but true. 17 bench points for Kansas to just eight 
for UCF. Now, of course, on the flip side of that, Kansas got zero points from one of their starters. I know Marco Jackson. So, I don't know. I, again, I, I guess you could call that a positive on, on the stat sheet, but uh, yeah, weird but true. Kansas' bench outscored UCF. I, I haven't, I didn't have the opportunity to go back and look, but I'm guessing that's one of the first, one of the few times this season that KU's bench has outscored the opposing team's bench. I'm assuming that probably hasn't happened in very many other games so far this season, but it did against UCF, even though it comes in a loss. All right, now to the negatives uh, of the loss, and there's a lot of negatives you can point to, I think, in this game for Kansas. Uh, turnovers, 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 man. Uh, brutal for Kansas. Second consecutive game in which they had 18 turnovers. They had 18 against TCU. But I, t- I talked about this earlier in the show. The turnovers in this game for Kansas were different than the turnovers that, that they were against TCU. TCU had 16 steals against Kansas. 16. UCF had six. You know what that tells me? In this game, there was a lot more unforced. Or UCF had, eight, had, eight, had actually eight steals. My apologies. Eight steals for UCF. But still, half of what TCU had uh, against Kansas. So the turnovers in this game against Kansas came in different ways, and they were a little bit more correctable turnovers, I think, in terms of bad passes, guys dribbling behind their back and having their pockets picked, uh, things like that. So I, I don't know. On one hand, it's like that's kind of more alarming because it's like now you've had two games where you've turned it over in two different ways, but maybe in a weird way it's not that bad because it's in this game it was something that you feel like is more correctable if you're Kansas. But, uh, yeah, turnovers, 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 certainly the headline uh, of this loss for Kansas against UCF. I also think a big negative in this game was just kind of the the unraveling of Kansas, sort of the lack of composure, and also a bit of a lack of urgency late in the game. Uh, I didn't feel it didn't feel like Kansas really turned it on at any moment late in the game as a, as a team. Uh, it felt like they were playing in a game where it wasn't crunch time, where it wasn't late in the game and it was a tight game. So I don't, I didn't like that. And again, I think the com- the composure really. Bill Self talked about this, which we'll get to that audio. Uh, coming up on our next segment here, he talked about how KU did things that good teams don't do. And I think that kind of goes hand-in-hand with composure, right, with maintaining composure on the road. And when you've got veteran players like this for Kansas, that's a big negative. That's a that's a big negative in my eyes. Uh, and then I think Dewan Harris also, I'd put him probably in the negative category. Again, just didn't really feel like he was in control of the flow of things. And if, if he's going to be that, you know, extension of Bill Self on the floor, that floor general type player. Man, you gotta you gotta control the the, the pace of the game. You gotta you gotta look like you're in command of the offense. And it, at times, it seemed like he was driving into his own defense without really much purpose, and it was not resulting in good things for Kansas. So, Dewan Harris, hopefully, he can get things back on the right track here for Kansas coming up. And then uh, another negative here, I'll just toss in there. I don't know how significant this is, but injuries. Uh, you saw with Hunter Dickinson, Bill Self mentioned after the game about Hunter Dickinson dealing with some kind of bruised knee. Dewan Harris at one point in the game was down for a while, but then I guess seemed fine afterwards. But uh, w- with a team that already has a, a significant lack of depth, you really can't afford to be losing anybody at this point to injury. So that's something that is uh, minor for this game, but uh, certainly something I'll be keeping an eye on uh, going forward, especially with a guy like Hunter Dickinson, because KU especially looked lost at times without Hunter Dickinson on the floor. Uh, as an offense. So that's another negative for me. Uh, in terms of neutrals from the game, I guess rebounding you could consider it a neutral. Kansas actually out-rebounded UCF 32-28. to 28. Uh, they Kansas had eight offensive rebounds. UCF had nine. Uh, Kansas had 24 defensive rebounds. UCF had 19. Remember, UCF came in as a top 50-ish team in rebounding on both at both ends of the floor. So this is now a second game, I guess. You know, Kansas was plus 12 against TCU, plus four here against UCF. So second consecutive game where... 
you rebounded pretty well. Uh, but again, I, th- I put it in the neutral category because I don't really think you can call it a positive. It was still pretty close, and it, it wasn't like the rebounding was was something that was really helping keep Kansas in the game either. So I put that in the neutral. Uh, Three-point shooting, I think, could go in the neutral here as well for, for KU. Kansas finished 6 of 18 from three in the game. TCU was 7 of 20. Uh, I think for Kansas fans, it might feel a little bit worse because UCF was really carried by one guy, Jalen Sellers, who went 4 of 7 from three. He'd come in shooting under 28% from three on the season, and he goes 4 of 7. Darius Johnson went 3 of 6 for them. He he was, he was had actually been a really quality shooter over the last uh, couple weeks, so no surprise that he was he shot the ball pretty well. And for Kansas... You know, you take away you take away Kevin McCuller and the three point shooting looks significantly worse. McCuller was three of five uh, from three, so he was half of the team's uh, three point shooting. So uh, I don't know. I, I guess it was kind of neutral because you know UCF made seven, K made six. Eh, you know, neutral there for uh, KU. And then in terms of a uh, possible play of the game, two plays that really stuck out to me. I've, I've kind of harped on it a little bit uh, throughout the show. The Kevin McCuller three when it was fifty seven fifty three. McCuller hits a corner three from the far corner. Uh, that's a play that I think really sticks out to me as, as a big-time play, a big-time shot that I was really, really wowed by at the moment. And I, when he hit that three, I kind of was bought back in of, okay, Kansas can win this game and can still pull it out, but it didn't quite go their way. Uh, if you want to look for earlier in the game, Johnny Furphy had a had a highlight play with a great steal. A score was 7-7. to Furphy gets a steal and uh, flies to the rim for a big dunk at the other end. That was a pretty big play. Murphy, uh, again, I think is, is continuing to play himself into discussion of possibly starting with El Marco kind of playing himself out of discussion for starting. And it feels like that conversation has maybe been reopened a little bit as to that that starting five spot. Again, I, I, I kind of I kind of agree with Bill Self on. I don't I don't know how much how much does it matter if both those guys are gonna end up playing close to the same number of minutes. You know, maybe situationally it matters a little bit, but We'll see. Uh, but El Marco Jackson, it is unfortunate to see that he has uh, now two consecutive really, really bad games to start conference play after maybe his best game of his career against Wichita State. Uh, and you look at Johnny Furphy, and it seems like he's growing in confidence as well. You know, he's still making some freshman mistakes, but it feels like he's, he's playing with confidence, which I don't know that you can say the same about El Marco Jackson right now. So, all right, that's our uh, KU basketball takeaways for KU and UCF. We'll get to our KU heroes and villains on tomorrow's show uh, before we hit from the UCF game as we start to also turn the page towards KU Oklahoma. Uh, Coming up in our next segment, we're going to hear from Bill Self. He had a chance to talk to the media after the UCF game, and it was a rather somber Bill Self, obviously, with the tough loss uh, at uh, at UCF. So we'll hear from Bill Self coming up on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.